the O'Reilly Hardware Podcast. I'm Brian Jepson. And I'm Jeff Blyell. Our guest today is Joel Johnson, co-founder and CEO of Boxy, B-O-X-Z-Y. Their product is an all-in-one CNC mill, 3D printer, and laser engraver. We'll talk to Joel about the product's hardware and software, how people are using it, and the company's successful Kickstarter campaign. Enjoy the show. Hi, Joel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So before we get into details, can you give us kind of a, a relatively quick overview of what the Boxy is and, and how it works kind of from both the hardware and software aspects of it? Sure. What Boxy is is a uh, desktop CNC device, and uh, it has three separate functions, all which act as modules, and they swap into the device. You can transform Boxy from a CNC mill to a 3D printer to a laser engraver. So it becomes all those things based on the module you put in it. And, and that it's, is it just a matter of kind of changing, changing the rods, the, the, their, their attachments? Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. So the program automatically recognizes which attachment's in, and uh, all you have to do is you drop the cylinder into the slot, the, the, the control rod or the attachment, and then you plug in the umbilical cord to it, and you're ready to go. And, and how big is it? Oh, Boxy is about uh, 15 inches squared in the X and Y dimension, and it's about 17 high. The overall machine dimension. Okay. The build platform is a little bit different. The build platform is 6.5 cubes, saying that safely, but uh, on the Z, you can get eight or nine inches, depending on which attachment you have in and which bit. Uh, so, the, And then you have open sides, so you kind of have an infinite side-to-side uh, build. That was what I was going to – I wanted to ask about the open sides. So let's say you want to do a really – mill a really long piece of wood – what sort of system do you have in place? Do you have a registration system and it just sort of puts a mark on it, tells you how, where to slide it down, or just kind of use a ruler? So you'd, have to, you'd have to do the registration yourself. There's a jig plate where you can uh, you can add different features that allow you to control, to register your uh, your piece of wood or plastic or whatever you have in the machine. Oh, so that, that's pretty handy then. Uh, that, that doesn't sound like it would be too hard to do. Uh, no, no, it's super simple. Pull off the magnetic leveling plate, pops right out, and then uh, put in your uh, your fixtures, and you're good to go. That's great. And that, that'll work for the mill or the laser, um, not so much yes. for 3D printing since. No, no. So the, uh, the, the laser actually, this is actually, this is an unintended part of the design, but it's a very useful one. The laser can actually be used to find your registration point then overlap it oh. between the programmatic the programmatic uh, point that you see on your screen and the physical point. So the laser has a, um, a low setting. It's just a button you, you hit on, and this low setting turns on. It doesn't burn anything. It's just light, and it will allow you to see where the center of your effector is. And so you can set your uh, user set origin. Oh, that's great. So, Joel, I heard you talk about your company and, and your product a couple of months ago, and you were mentioning then that there's – been kind of a, a wide range of applications or potential customers from hobbyists and folks making perhaps like crafty stuff that they sell on Etsy to bigger uh, businesses, maybe some some engineering departments at bigger companies. Can you talk more about oh, yeah. what different kind of customers may want or need uh, this product? So, I mean, we have three primary customers, right? So um, our, our biggest customers are educators, small businesses, and uh, the prosumer customer. Even though Boxy is the kind of device that a regular hobbyist could use, uh, typically it's being chosen by prosumers. 
So education constitutes about half our sales, um, and then prosumers and small businesses constitute the other half. Um, so for education, they're using it mainly in STEM STEAM courses, uh, where they are uh, they are teaching the kids, the students, to use uh, CAD and CAM, and then they are taking it immediately into Boxy, and they're showing how to use the three primary capacities in manufacturing, which the additive, the reactive, and the engraving embossing. And then for the uh, for the prosumer, oh, that that ranges from prototype to uh, first inventions to just fixtures for the line for the, their manufacturing line. And then uh, for the small businesses, finding that we're in a lot of not not so much lines as we are being used to develop new products for companies. So um, so we have people who are doing like aeronautical research. They are developing. Uh, they're doing certain things with material sciences. Uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, there's a couple of really interesting ones. Um, Audi's, Audi's using Roboxy in product development. Uh, Google has one. I don't know what they're doing with it. And AT&T has it. I'm not, they're using that in, uh, I believe, their makerspace. And basically just using it as kind of a, an easy way to make a prototype? Yeah, yeah. I know of one company called Curvecase, and they are currently using Boxy to actually produce their products. So, their manufacturing line is almost entirely boxy. Well, let's let's step back and, and kind of talk about the product's genesis. Where where did the idea come from, and, and how was the company formed? Actually, so um, Justin and I, my the co-founder, my brother, we were we were running a, a contracting company, and uh, we were making we were making good money, but we were we were unsatisfied with the kind of process of of uh, doing contracting. So we were really interested in developing a product. We were actually, so we were at, at, at the same time, we were trying to develop a product and we had this idea, several different products. We were trying to distill the number of products that we had down to, uh, one or two. And then we also had the interest in making a makerspace. And we actually didn't know what a makerspace was then. We thought we invented it. And, uh, so in kind of this confluence of, uh, of concepts, we were, we were actually doing laundry and discussing our discontent with our education and uh, and our accessibility to certain kinds of businesses. And so um, eventually that led us to Tech Shop and Hack Pittsburgh. And uh, we started immediately trying to figure out how to go about building a product. And we started with, we kind of re, uh, we kind of re-up. We dropped all the products that we were thinking about doing um, that were regular consumer products. And we decided that we were going to do something that kind of mimicked Tech Shop and Hack Pittsburgh so that people could have the same kind of tools and the same caliber. And originally, that was just a single-use machine, and we're going to do a whole bunch of single-use machines um, that were really, really robust machines that would give you the same kind of quality as um, as what would professional, um, professional studios would have or manufacturers would have. And... Uh, then we decided that we could actually unite all those several of those capacities at least into one CNC platform because uh, the CNC platform is relative it's universal it's just a movement platform so we figured that if we put all if we put the individual functions into modules we could just swap them in and that's that's how Foxy started it's how we defined our market and how we defined our product it was uh, it was an interest in uh, two things that we see as sort of the same thing and that is education and small business. I don't, I don't think you could really fuel the motivation of education without having an outlet for the freedom to form certain levels of small business. And right now, manufacturing and product development 
they're still relatively uh, relegated to larger companies, and uh, normal individuals don't normally have the capacities that are required to be competitive in the hardware landscape or the manufacturing landscape. So, Joel, you you did a Kickstarter campaign in 2015 and raised. We did. Over, yeah, and it was you raised over a million dollars? Was it 1.2 million, something like that? Yep, right around 1.2 million. A little okay. shy. Yeah. Can you tell us about that whole experience and uh, you, what that meant to your business and whether that level of fundraising had any surprises, either positive or negative, associated with it? <laughs> so um, what's really funny about it is uh, Justin and I had done enough businesses to not be surprised. Actually, I guess I made an educated guess that we were going to make $1.2 million. That was my guess. Mm-hmm. And we were just a little shy of that. The the overall experience, we, we planned – in advance to that we were for the errors that we were going to have. So Justin and I had not never done a manufacturing business before um, or a hardware business before. So we, we just made sure that we had enough capital from the Kickstarter to in, in the, the, the amount of profit in each machine to account for any kind of errors that we'd come upon. And we did, we made hundreds of thousands of dollars for the errors. <laughs> and each one of those specific errors we couldn't have predicted. I mean, cause sometimes you have to actually have the money to figure out those specific pain points. But uh, I mean, each of those was completely unexpected, but the overall kind of um, level of error that we were going to experience, we, or the level of surprises we were going to experience, we had accounted for. Well, can, can you give us an example of one of those errors? So um, most of it actually revolved around hiring and contracting. So there are certain kinds of people that we manage very well and that we are kind of naturally built to manage. And then there are certain kinds of people that we are not very naturally built to manage. And uh, it turns out that uh, that that was quite a pain point. We hired we hired some of the wrong people. Um, some were just the wrong people in general. They were unemployable. And then some people were um, some people were just a bad fit for um, Justin and I's management style. Those were, those were, the, those were the biggest pain points. It's, it's hard to hire. It's hard to find good people. It's hard to find good matches. And was that kind of primarily uh, what, what at least a large chunk of the, of the Kickstarter fund was used for? A lot of it went down to employment, but uh, there was also a really, really large uh, manufacturing sh- shipment that we had to order and uh, a lot of setup. So we kept, we kept our, uh, our nut pretty small as far as employees go. But we had a we had a lot of setup. We had to get a factory. We had to get the tools. We had to actually order the hardware, um, and most of that happened to, between just Justin and I. And then as we got most of the work up to the the ordering, the uh, getting the drawings correct, blah blah, blah the, most of the money went directly to actual the purchasing of hardware. So that's a, that's the story of the hardware. What about the, what's the software side look like? And, you know, that, that can, there's multiple pieces of that, right? You know, you've got CAD software and maybe you, you just work with things that already are, are, are out there. You've got the CAM software to, to control the machine, but you've also got the firmware, um, on it itself. And I'm kind of curious just to maybe start with the CAD side of things. Um, do you have your own CAD tool like some, uh, CNC makers so we, do. So we 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 partnered with um, Autodesk. Okay. They were they were actually partnered with us during the Kickstarter. And what form did that partnership take? We co-developed this program where they gave us a free CAD package, a one-year CAD package for anyone who got boxing. Oh, and which which package is that? 
So it is uh, Fusion 360. Now, does that does that also act as the CAM software? I know some of the Autodesk tools have have that built in. Yeah, that's our CAM software, um, and then you output to our interface, and uh, our interface handles the G code. So the inter- interface is that um, the controller of the device itself, or is that? Um... Yes, the interface is the controller of the device itself. So you can move the machine manually with the program, and you can so. It, it, it does it does a couple things, our interface. So the CAM side for the CNC milling, that, that is done inside Fusion. And, mm-hmm. then, and then the slicing of the STL files for 3D printing, that is done inside our software. And then the output to G-code for the laser is done within our software and, and oh, not Fusion. So you do have a piece of software that runs on the user's computer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing, the only thing that really requires some external CAD CAM program is really the CNC milling. Uh, what, what type of control board are you, are you using? So many machines have, have historically been built on Arduino and Arduino-like boards. Uh, I'm curious yeah, as to we, what, what choice we you didn't, made. We didn't, we didn't break that cycle. Okay. It's, a, uh, it's an Arduino Mega. Arduino Mega, sure. and are you using yeah. um, are you using a, a shields on it? Um, do you have your own shield for the motor control, yeah. or we do? And what's what's awesome about your shield? Well, so I mean, we're it's, it's kind of standard hardware. Uh, we we went with it's not particularly awesome. It's just a high quality board. Mm-hmm. It, Something it that does can, what it's meant to do. Does what it's meant to do. Can move the motors. Yeah. Won't burn out. Nope. Um, Removable steppers. It's a, it's a beautiful. Oh board. yeah. So so you can you can pop out the stepper driver and, and replace it if mm-hmm. if you know say like somebody decides to sit on the axis while it's trying to move for an hour or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Any any part on boxy in general that can be worn out or uh, burned out through user error is replaceable, easily replaceable. We we made That's sure that if. Uh, any wear and tear components and any burnout components, um, you can take it right out and put another one back in. That's great. And did you have did you have to write your firmware from scratch? Did you do you use some combination of existing stacks? We like use Marlin? a combination. So yeah, yeah, we use Marlin. Um, we use we we kind of blended it um, because Boxy's board has a couple special requirements. Um, we have an engineer and uh, he. He he has adapted everything from the open source community. Now for the the laser, um, I know that a lot of people just love to use Inkscape for um, mm-hmm. for, for laser files. And um, is, have you got um, you got like world class Inkscape support? Do you have plugins for <laughs> it or anything like that? Uh, no, we just let, I mean because you can access that on your own. You can you can do that no. yourself. I mean it's an Arduino board, so you can run whatever you want. Uh, what sort of file formats does the laser side um, take? JPEG and uh, PNG. Oh, okay. So you have to rasterize. So if you're doing, um, if you do, like, let's say you use Inkscape to do an SVG, so you, you'll have to rasterize that, and then, or, yeah. or does your desktop software software take like an SVG and rasterize it? Yeah, you just take JPEG and PNG and uh, interpret mm-hmm. that to GCode. Like, what 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 sort of speeds are you able to get? Um, so the speeds of Boxy are right around that of a uh, a normal 3D printer. So and so a normal 3D printer, um, you talking Ultimaker or? So Ultimaker is actually par excellence as far as speed goes. Mm-hmm. I'm talking more along the lines of a uh, printer bot or a maker bot. 
Oh, okay. So, and, and that's, so that's, that's your 3D printing speeds. And then basically the, the speed of your, everything else is really going to be more dictated by your material, CNC. Yes. I mean, and, so you have a, you have a maxed out speed because there's a, there's a max speed that we bring it down to so that we are able to prevent errors, right? So you can push boxing much faster or, if you're more experienced or the machine's yep. worn in. Um, but we keep it right around printer bot or maker bot. We have a, we have a level inside the actual, um, EEPROM setting where it's it locked down. So, so for laser cutting, how do you keep things from catching on fire? I'm, I'm thinking of a fully enclosed system like an epilogue where, uh-huh. um, you know, there, there's active removal of, um, you know, both, both fumes and, and the air. So if you're cutting something, that wants to catch on fire, or are, are you more? Are, are you what, what? What can you comfortably cut with the laser? Let's let me ask it that way. So I wouldn't I wouldn't use boxy as a cutting laser. So you're going to engrave. You're going to engrave. You're going to engrave. And got um, it. Boxy's still an open machine. I mean, it it's can an, be enclosed. But if you have your if you're for most materials, and I've run a lot of materials through boxy, non toxic materials, and uh, I've never had a problem with fire. I mean, yeah, that so that has never really been an issue. But you're probably you're not going to cut all the way through MDF. Certainly not. Oh cut, no, cut through acrylic. You're engraved like a champ. Um, yeah, and you're not going to cut you, cardboard. Well, you can cut cardboard. You can cut leather. You can probably you can cut through uh, okay. certain um, colors of uh, acrylic, thin acrylic, like eighth inch, possibly. I I personally cut through cardboard and acrylic. I mean, okay, and, I'm sorry, yeah, leather. Leather and cardboard, and you, you don't have any trouble um, yeah. with with. I mean, imagine that that's not like in in your office, right? Probably you do that in the workshop or garage or something when you're when you're laser <laughs> well, cutting. I, in, in my office, and honestly, sometimes on my kitchen table to the chagrin of my fiance. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you know, the great thing about the kitchen is, you know, you've got a you've got a a, a hood over the stove, so you could always park it there. Yeah. And, so. Your your CNC mill looks pretty beefy. Oh yeah, it runs fast, so ten to thirty thousand RPM, and it pushes forty to sixty pounds of force. Wow. So what can you? What's the hardest material that you've cut with that? So I've done a lot of brass, and I've done a lot of aluminum. Mm. Um, I'm going to try steel. I know it's possible on boxy. Um, I uh, talked to a machinist, and um, he went over some of the speeds and feeds, and he's like, it's well within the. Uh, it's well within your ability to do unboxing. I know I'm going to try titanium real soon, but I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> wow. And so let's say that, you know, a user's choosing a material um, and, and they're choosing, you know, what type of bit they're going to use to, to cut it. And so there's always that calculation of your speeds and your feeds for that. Is that something that, that's handled by the the Autodesk software? You just tell it what material oh, yeah. you're using? Okay. Yeah, so you don't have to. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Oh, great. So you don't have to go look it up somewhere unless you're using some really weird material that nobody's so ever used? I, I do look it up. Um, you do look it up. So Yeah, I do, because it's actually easier for me to go on to um, – so Autodesk outputs its own, right? And it's it's usually correct. But I like to uh, – I find it easier to play with the speeds and feeds calculator. What is it, HSM? It's an online uh, platform that allows you to calculate speeds and feeds for free. Right. And so yeah. you can – you can change whatever feature of that you want, and it automatically updates everything else. Joel, just jumping back for a quick follow-up to something you brought up earlier in the conversation regarding the education market. Uh, how are students using Boxy? What are you hearing about that from the schools? 
I, I think one particular use of mentioned for Boxy has been something that uh, several schools had mentioned. Um, one of the machinists that, uh, that guides people at Penn State, he was talking about Boxy being the my first ENC machines because most students are not able to participate in using the larger CNC equipment because it's so expensive and complex, right? So in order to learn the, the simple principles of setting up jigs and fixtures, the speeds and feeds, they, they have to learn it in the textbook first, but not really get much rich experience. The thing that Boxy is really, really good at is teaching machinist skills without damaging big machines. Boxy, beyond just being um, really, really making clear CNC concepts, just because of the simple nature of Boxy, um, it, it is really, really hard to break your machine. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, we we actually have been considering doing a commercial where we throw Boxy out of the back of the car <laughs> as it's moving and then print on the side of the road. So um, it's one of those machines. So I, I've done a lot of CNCing, and uh, my background, I'm a philosophy and psychology student who has only in his only now learned how to do engineering. So learning before Boxy is when I learned engineering skills. <laughs> so it, this machine... When, when we put this together, I have run that thing hard. I have, uh, I have taken the bits through the platform. So, you know, there's two platforms on Boxing. There's the rapid change platform that goes over the top of the, uh, fixture plate. And, uh, I've plunged, I plunged quarter inch bits all the way through both of them and had it run until the bit broke. <laughs> wow. With the CNC version, um, in fact, it looks like every, Machine is a CNC version, and you just up from there. You decide whether you're going to get 3D printer or 3D printer and laser engraver, right? Yeah, you know the machine is just a it's a universal CNC platform. Right. So with the with the mill, what end mills do you ship with the machine? It should just be a quarter inch bit right now. You're able to use anything from a quarter inch bit down to well any size that you can get a collet adapter for. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of collet adapters. Um, yeah. I would say that uh, uh, you can do larger, but you just have to turn down your bit. Joe, if, if our listeners want to find out more about you or about Boxy uh, online, where should they go? They should go to boxy.com, and that's spelled B-O-X-Z-Y.com. Well, Joe Johnson, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or TuneIn so you'll never miss an episode. And you can visit us at O'Reilly.com slash hardware. For the O'Reilly Hardware Podcast, I'm Brian Jepson. And I'm Jeff Lyall. 